The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, there was a rich man and he had a steward who was denounced to him for being wasteful with his property. He called for the man and said, what is this I hear about you? Draw up an account of your stewardship because you are not to be my steward any longer. Then the steward said to himself, now that my master is taking the stewardship from me, what am I to do? Dig, I am not strong enough. Go begging, I should be too ashamed. Ah, I know what I will do to make sure that when I am dismissed from office, there will be some to welcome me into their homes. Then he called his master's debtors one by one. To the first he said, how much do you owe my master? 100 measures of oil was the reply. The steward said, here, take your bond, sit down straight away and write 50. To another he said, and you, sir, how much do you owe? 100 measures of wheat was the answer. The steward said, here, take your bond and write 80. The master praised the dishonest steward for his astuteness. For the children of this world are more astute in dealing with their own kind than are the children of light. The man who can be trusted in little things can be trusted in great. The man who is dishonest in little things will be dishonest in great. No servant can be the slave of two masters. He will either hate the first and love the second, or treat the first with respect and the second with scorn. You cannot be the slave both of God and of money. The Gospel of the Lord. There's a very clear theme running through those readings from the prophet Amos, minor prophet, little shepherd, who's called into Israel to speak to their corruption, deeply rooted corruption and and deception. But from Amos to Paul writing to Timothy and then to the gospel, there's this constant theme of justice. Really, if we think about the Christian life and if we think about just everyday life, all of our worries, all of our concerns, all of our Uh, frustrations to some degree they come down to this idea of justice and the fact that justice has either not arrived or it's being it's being uh, thwarted just think of the most basic arguments you've heard children having I was sitting there first CS Lewis points this out in one of his books it's the innate understanding that all of us have about the objectivity of justice and the divine law no one has to teach us this but from the earliest age once we realize that primitive arguments like I want that and that's not a good enough reason, we start to assert higher reasons, sort of um, proposing that what I'm asking is actually just, you know. I deserve to sit there because I was sitting there yesterday. And then what we find is the person replies, not, uh, you know, they'll accept our terms, but they'll raise the stakes and they say, oh yeah, but every Thursday I sit there. You know, there's, we're appealing to this law that for some reason we're expecting everyone to to adhere to. And for people of faith, that makes sense because we know that law comes from God. God is the just one. But if law is not objective, that's a very strange thing that we do. And we do do it. All of us do that. From the littlest to the biggest. We're trying to assert justice. So really, all of our concerns boil down to this this thing, whatever it is. I want to read this passage from the Catechism. It's at the very end. It's in the glossary. It's a definition of justice. It's a bit of a sweeping definition. It takes in a few themes at once. But just listen to everything that it covers. 
It says here, justice is the cardinal moral virtue which consists in the constant and firm will to give both God and neighbour their due. The constant and firm will to give God his due, to give neighbour his due. That's what the church considers justice. That's the greatest commandment. How do I pursue heaven? How do I bring heaven to earth? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, soul, and your neighbour as yourself. In other words, be just. Adhere to this divine law that's imprinted on you. It quickly says that Adam and Eve were created with what's called original justice. Sometimes we have the temptation to see humanity itself as just intrinsically off track, you know. Oh, humans are intrinsically selfish. Everything they do is, is corrupt. Um, this kind of depraved image of humanity. Well, the church says no. From the beginning, God created us imago Dei. That means the perfection and the goodness of God is the very image in which you and I were shaped. We reflect the perfection of God. Sure, in, in sort of marred ways, we've, we've warped that, sometimes by our own doing, sometimes by our circumstances. And as we come back to Christ, we are reconfigured to the goodness, the beauty, the wonder and the truth of God. But the, but the fact is, from the beginning, we were just. We were free and we were just. It then gives these three definitions here. It says, there's such a thing as commutative justice, which obliges me to my neighbour. You know, there's certain things that I owe my neighbour, and there's certain things that my neighbour owes me. Um, think of the basic respects. In fact, it says here, what's required of this is the seventh commandment, thou shalt not steal, you know. It's, it's unjust for me to assume that everything everywhere is eventually going to come to me. No, that's not justice. That's very, very stupid, really. <laughs> it's incredibly egotistic. But um, commutative justice undoes that. It says, no, we are all entitled to property and then to you know, steward that which we, we receive. Then it goes on to legal justice and distributive justice. And this is interesting, especially for us as a community of faith. Legal justice is the fact that each of us owes something to the whole community. So look around. You know, we've got a little community of faith here. And each one of us owes the entire community something. In fact, when you think about the obligation to come to Mass, that's part of justice. You know? We're here because the body of Christ has called us to gather, to pray, to offer sacrifice, to offer worship. That's my obligation to all of you and each of your obligations to all of us. But then it immediately goes the other way as well. It says there's also distributive justice. It's not just me who has obligations to the community. Distributive justice says the community, the whole community, has obligations to each one of us. The whole community in, in a just world is meant to wrap around each and every one of us in prayer, in mercy, in empathy, uh, in long-suffering. It's a beautiful image of justice, isn't it? It's quite thorough. Quite a thorough image and understanding of justice that God is calling us into. It's in that context that we realize just how offensive that picture in Amos is. You know, Amos is calling out these people for their very thinly veiled um, selfishness and corruption. He says there, listen here, you who are swindling, who are fixing the scales, who are cheating everyone and securing your little booty. He says, don't think God doesn't see this. And don't think that God, who loves justice and hates evil, will not act into this, will not 
you know, dismantle it because what you're doing is wrong. Amos isn't saying that to them or to us to make us anxious or to be on edge that God's going to smite. That's really not the point. The point is God is just and God promises that in the fullness of time there will be no wound, there will be no tear, there will be no anything that compromises the, the ideal of justice. Actually, justice in all its beauty, in all its perfection will be realized. And that means the sooner we come there, the better, you know, um, because eventually we're going to meet with it. And, and please God, we're in harmony with it. We, it's actually something we desire. You know, the interesting thing about those arguments that we were saying before is that what we're doing is we're asserting the position of God by saying what I'm doing, even though it's self-evidently wrong, is just. And by saying that, one, I knock God off his perch and put myself there. And two, I sort of create just a misshaped reality. It's, 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 it's wrong. It can't possibly stand. It's going to crumble. It's not a firm establishment. On that, I just want us to, to move into the space of the church's great concern for justice. If you even think back to the last few Sundays, you know, just the other Sunday we had um, Child Protection Sunday or Safeguarding Sunday because the abuse of children and vulnerable people is a horrible injustice. And the church says, we better weed that out quick smart, you know, and, and redeem it and heal it. Before that, we had uh, domestic, domestic violence as the theme of the Social Justice Sunday because, you know, in our most precious and sacred of relationships, that being the family, when there's violence and aggression there, that's a grave, grave injustice. And the church says this is intolerable. It's why, for example, right now we're right in the middle of the season of creation because the various ways that we just pillage the earth for resources and then leave it unrenewable is unjust. It doesn't fit with the plan of God. And, and Amos is saying to, to us, don't think that God is going to overlook this, you know. It's, it's all going to have to be reworked. And that might be a painful process if we resist it. So how do we come into the presence of God now and, and try and press our mind up against his mind and uh, fall deeply in love with his sense of justice? Well, I'd suggest we do a few things. One, it's why the church makes available to us the sacrament of reconciliation. That's such a privileged place to say, my vision of justice was wrong. I thought it was right, but it wasn't. Or, I knew it was wrong and I still did it. Whatever the case may be, and, you know, there's degrees of uh, walking, walking out of harmony with God. But the sacrament is there to abruptly come back into harmony with him. And it happens. It's such a place of grace. It's why Jesus says, forgive your neighbor, because that's the quickest route to justice. Let's not try and, you know, create a strange economy whereby we arrive at justice by wounding each other again and again. No, let's wipe the slate clean. I forgive you. Uh, let's enter back into relationship and continue the journey. It comes very quickly to the image of justice that God has for us. Um, it's why in that reading from Paul, he says, Try your best to live lives of serenity and peace because constantly being cantankerous continually draws us away from the vision of justice. It's why beautifully Paul says, pray for your leaders. You know, sometimes when we have little responsibilities, 
Injustice is easy to permit. We think, oh, well, this isn't really hurting anyone. It doesn't really matter. But once that bubbles up to a higher, I don't know, um, platform of, of influence, the stakes are higher. You know, the wounds are deeper. The injustice is, is more and more gaping. And so Paul said, pray for your leaders, all of them, wherever they are, however frustrating they might be, whoever they are, however different their personality might be from yours, pray for them because they need your prayers. You're obliged to that. Finally, and this is the closing note, it's sort of a surprise, it's unexpected, but in the psalm it says there, when we're met with injustice, and we're going to meet it everywhere, we're going to meet it in ourselves and we're going to meet it in our neighbour. When we meet injustice, what is our response? Very unexpectedly, the psalm tells us praise. Isn't that amazing? Praise the Lord. Praise, I'd like to suggest, is not an airy-fairy thing. It's not just uh, seeking positive emotions or something. Praise is really the posture that I have before my Creator, to stand or to kneel before my God and to realize you are God and I'm not, and you are all worthy of every hope I have. Every hope and aspiration and, and desire comes from you and goes back to you. Praise is um, enshrining in my mind the highest value that I could possibly have. You know, you look around the world and you see a lot of things that are really not to be imitated, that wound and disquiet and make us jaded. When we praise, we say, I'm not going to act out of that, but I'm going to act out of the highest possible value I could ever have, which is God himself. God, you inspire me. You lead me forward. I turn to you in praise. Think finally of that beautiful hymn that comes to us from Mary, the Magnificat. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has torn the mighty from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good things, but the rich he sent away empty. In other words, every, every misshapen contour of this world that we've turned the wrong way, every unjust edge, God will smooth it over with his perfect mercy and grace. We turn to God to praise because we know that in the fullness of time and in his own gracious will, this is happening now. It's happening in us. It's happening all around us. So let's simply take a moment to turn to God now in praise, to offer him our petitions, but also very sincerely to offer him our worship.